gospel message that you have brought to us. We pray now that our hearts will be humble before you as we look at your word, as we contemplate what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're studying the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's a short book, only about three pages in your Bible perhaps. And again, as we're studying this book over the next few weeks and months, I want to urge you to read it and reread it and, and get to know this book uh, not just by listening to me, but by seeking God on your own time as well and, and learning from his word. What we see in the book of 1 Thessalonians is that the gospel had an amazing impact in the lives of the people there. In our passage today, we're going to see how the gospel came with power to the people of Thessalonica, how they welcomed it, and how the message rang out from them. It's a wonderful pattern. In fact, in verse 7 of our passage today, the people of Thessalonica were called a model or an example, uh, not just for the people of their city, not even just for the people of their region, but everywhere, and I would even say over the thousands of years since then, they're a model for us. So we're going to look at the gospel pattern today. That's the title of my sermon. We're, we're looking at the idea of what the gospel does in people just like you and me as it comes to us, as we receive it, and as it sounds forth from us. So I've already uh, kind of given away the three points of my sermon here, and they, they come from our text. The, the three points are how uh, the gospel came to Thessalonica, how the people welcomed it, or in some of your translations it might say received it, and then how the gospel rang out from them, or some of your translations say sounded forth. And what I want you to see is the powerful impact of the gospel. That was something I highlighted last week in my sermon, and it's something that I want to highlight again. In fact, I think it's probably going to be uh, a recurring theme throughout this sermon series, throughout the book of Thessalonica. And I, I want to repeat the, the two points that I put up at the beginning of my sermon last week. These, to me, are kind of overarching themes in the book of First Thessalonians, things that can help us understand what this book is about and about what God wants to do in our hearts and lives. So, two themes about the gospel. First, the gospel will have a very powerful impact in our lives if we allow it to take root. God will do his powerful, wonderful work in us to transform us, to, to mold and shape us into Christ-likeness as we not only initially embrace the gospel, but also as we live it out the rest of our lives. And then second, the gospel will have a very powerful impact in the lives of people around us if we spread it. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that every time we share the gospel message with somebody that they will just warmly receive it. We know that there's other responses that people sometimes do have to the gospel message, but I am saying that if we as a, as a body of believers commit to proclaiming the gospel message, we will see wonderful stories of what God will do in the hearts and lives of other people as we proclaim it. So I want us to be people who are committed to proclaiming the gospel message. So today we're going to take a look at what happened in the city of Thessalonica 2,000 years ago. But it's not just a history lesson because we're dealing with the living and active word of God and we want God to do his powerful work in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. So our passage today is 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 4 through 10. I'll read it now, starting at verse 4. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. 
In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit, and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So my first point today is that the gospel comes with power. The gospel comes with power. Now, just again to recap what we looked at now uh, the last two Sundays, we talked about how the gospel message came to Thessalonica. In Acts 17, you can read the backstory of how Paul, Silas, and Timothy traveled there with the express purpose of bringing the gospel message there. They were on a missionary journey. That's what they did, those men, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They lived their lives on mission. Their heart's desire was to proclaim the message that meant so much to them. And I like to think of it this way, that that why did Paul, Silas, and Timothy go on a missionary journey? Because they loved the gospel so much. They were so thankful to God for what God had done in their lives that they thought, we must bring this message to others. So again, they lived their lives on mission, on purpose, bringing the gospel message to people. You see, it's the gospel that is the only hope of our salvation. It is only in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we have any hope of forgiveness and of eternal life. See, the gospel message is not simply a message that we should be a good person. That kind of a message, just be a good person, will not get us into heaven. If that were simply the message, we maybe wouldn't need a savior. But the message of the gospel is that We were sinners. We were not good enough on our own. But God loved us so much that he sent Jesus for us. So that only in receiving Jesus by faith can our sins be forgiven and can we have eternal life. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they embraced that message so deeply, they loved it so much that they brought it to other people living on mission. Now, in verses 4 and 5, they describe a little bit about how that gospel message came. Uh, came not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. And I want to point out a couple of things there. First is that the, the gospel came with the Holy Spirit. And let's remember, this is God's message. It, it's the message that, that God planned. It's the message that Jesus brought as he came and lived a perfect life and offered himself as our perfect sacrifice. And it's the message that is empowered by the Holy Spirit himself. Jesus told his followers to wait for the Holy Spirit because then they would receive power and then they would be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. So the gospel message is very much a Trinitarian thing. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all deeply and powerfully involved in, in the spread of the gospel. And I, are you ever like me sometimes? And I should be better at this because I'm a pastor, right? But, uh, but maybe I'm like you and you're like me in this, that sometimes we forget that this is God's work, the, the gospel going out. Do you ever get to that point where you think, oh no, I have to come up with the right words to say, or I'm so nervous, or I don't know what to do? Now, don't get me wrong, we play a part in this. We, we have to play a part in it. But it's God's work to do this. It is His Holy Spirit that is at work. It is God who is drawing people to Jesus. Again, all three members of the Trinity actively involved. And and we simply join in with God. I I talked a couple Sundays ago about how it is a commission. 
God doesn't just send us on a mission. He sends us on a co-mission, that we are co-laborers in that sense with God and what he is doing. Not that we're equals with God, but that we join in with him in what he is doing. So we proclaim the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. But then there's also this very human element. I want to emphasize the end of verse 5 here, where Paul said, You know how we lived among you for your sake. We also see earlier there that, that Paul used words to proclaim the gospel. He said he didn't only use words, but he did use words. And, and I like, and we'll, we'll look at this a little bit more the next two weeks as we look into chapter 2 about how, how Paul combined his words with the, the life that he lived, the example that he lived in front of these people, and it was a powerful deal. And that's how we should do it. We should use the words of the gospel, and we should share our lives with people as well as we share the gospel with them. Words and actions working together. And then in verse 6, Paul said, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. There's other verses in the Bible where Paul says something similar to this, and it, it used to kind of make me scratch my head. Why did Paul say it this way? Why did Paul not just say, you became imitators of the Lord? Or there's a verse, I think it's 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, where he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. Why did he not just say, follow the example of Jesus Christ? Isn't that what we want? We want people to follow Jesus. So why does Paul put this part in there about becoming imitators of him or of following him? Well, I think I know the answer now. Yes, we want people to follow the Lord, to imitate the Lord. But some people aren't going to know how to do that unless they see it lived out in a person like Paul or you or me. So our, our part in this is actually quite important, that we live out the gospel in front of other people so that they can see it, so that they can know how to put their faith in Jesus, so that they can know how to continue in him. So Paul did. He brought the gospel to people. He lived on mission, and I want us to live on mission like that. I want to uh, remind you of an illustration I used a couple weeks ago. Uh, I was driving with my son, and he talked about how birch trees were one of his favorite trees. And, and my thought was, there aren't any birch trees in Fergus. What are you talking about? But it wasn't until he said that that I opened my eyes to see, in fact, there are lots of birch trees in Fergus Falls. And I have lived here for about uh, 28 years of my life, and I didn't notice them. Why? because I wasn't looking for them. And, again, just, I've thought so much this, I went to a conference this week on Thursday where we were, we were talking about the state of the church and, and how uh, we want others to come to know the gospel message, and I was just reminded myself of how it can be comfortable to live here. I think Fergus Falls is a very comfortable place to live. I love that about Fergus Falls. Uh, I don't feel like I want my pants to be on fire at all times, and Fergus Falls is a good place to live in that regard. But it can also be so comfortable that we forget to see the people around us as people who need Jesus, as people that we can help grow in their faith. So I just want to give us this reminder, this, this reminder from the example of, of Paul and Silas and Timothy who, who went to great lengths to share the gospel, that I want us to, to have a little bit of that fire underneath ourselves sometimes. Not, not just sometimes, but every time God gives the opportunity that we would see it and that we would make the most of it. At Cornerstone, our mission statement is this, a passion to know Christ, commissioned to make him known. Two parts to that. One, we want to know Christ. We want to keep on walking with him passionately. But 
as we do that, we want to join in this commission that God has given us to make Jesus known. So let's not forget that second part. And um, I, I think every church struggles with that part, with, the, with doing our part in the Great Commission. Uh, I struggle with it personally. Uh, I know lots and lots of other pastors that I've talked to that struggle with this as well. I think it might just be part of what it means for us to be human. Um, but I don't want to cause that in us to make us settle for something less. So let's live our lives on mission. As Paul, Silas, and Timothy brought the gospel message to others, let us bring it to others as well. God will do wonderful, wonderful work in our lives and in the lives of people around us as we proclaim the gospel. So a couple questions that I want to end my first part of this sermon with. First, how did the gospel come to you? I, and I intend this to be an encouraging question. I want you to think back of, of how did the gospel come to you? And, and I have a little homework assignment for you on this one. Uh, for those of you that are going to join us at our fellowship meal upstairs, I want this to be part of your conversation up there, to ask each other, how did the gospel come to you? And as part of that, maybe, maybe you sit with somebody new today. In fact, I've kind of noticed that at our fellowship meals, maybe we kind of end up sitting with the same people we always sit with. Maybe today we mix it up a little bit, and we ask each other this question, how did the gospel come to you? And we can encourage each other with the, the powerful stories of what God has done in our lives. And remember, your story is not primarily about how you sought after God. Your story is primarily, firstly, about what God did to draw you to himself. So let, let's tell our stories and let's encourage each other about what God has done for us to bring the gospel message to us. If you're not uh, going to be at our fellowship meal today, I encourage you to find a, a different place to do that today or in the, in the coming days. Um, with somebody that you don't necessarily know the answer to that question to already, okay? So don't just ask your wife. Um, find somebody to encourage with, with your story and be encouraged by their story. And then the second question, how can you bring the gospel to others? Now, this is admittedly a really difficult question, but it doesn't always happen by accident. It does sometimes happen um, maybe when we're not even thinking about it, when God is just doing his work. But oftentimes the way that this works is that we're intentional about it, that we're keeping our eyes open for those opportunities, that we're praying, that we're going boldly with the gospel, that we're taking a chance, perhaps, that we're maybe going to make a conversation a little bit more awkward than we want it to be. But we're doing it because we love God and we love people, and God loves those people way more than we do, and we want them to come to know Jesus. So what can you do to be more intentional about sharing the gospel? So pray, go with the gospel, go on purpose, go on mission. That's my first point today, that the gospel comes with power. My second point is that the gospel is to be welcomed with joy. And again, some of your translations might say received instead of welcomed. It's the same idea. In verse 6, it says, In spite of severe suffering, you welcome the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Now again, we've talked about this the last couple weeks. In Thessalonica, there were some people who were really upset that the gospel message was coming. They didn't want their city to be overturned like that with the gospel. But even so, the, some of the Thessalonians received the gospel and they did so with joy. And, and look at what kind of joy it was. You welcome the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. 
So the same Holy Spirit who was powerfully at work in bringing the gospel to Thessalonica was at work in the people of Thessalonica, giving them great joy as they received it. And I love this idea. And it, maybe it takes some of the pressure off of us that it, as we share the gospel, remember the Holy Spirit is there to strengthen us, to, to deliver the message, and the Holy Spirit is there to work on them to help them receive the message with joy. But it's also interesting there, that part about in spite of severe suffering. There was suffering for those people who received the gospel in Thessalonica, yet there was joy. So suffering and joy. Have you ever noticed how many times those two things go together in the Bible? Which, that is a a countercultural thing. Suffering and joy. Um, Our society doesn't do great with that. When there's suffering, there's suffering. And when there's joy, there's joy. But there's oftentimes, way too often, not an overlap. So, how do we have this? This suffering in the midst of joy. I'm not talking about those direct TV commercials, which are really funny, but those ones where somebody is pleased to sit in gum or to run into a glass door. We, we don't have to pretend that bad things are good, but when bad things happen, we can have joy in the midst of them because we know that God is with us. We know that God has a plan one day to make everything new. So we can have joy in the midst of our suffering. And I know that some of you are going through some suffering right now, and I pray and I hope that you have the joy of the Holy Spirit as you go through it. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, and he will give it to us as we keep in step with the Spirit, as we live by the Spirit, as we are filled with the Spirit. So, do you have that joy of the gospel? Have you welcomed the gospel? That would be the first step in this. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? And and from there, do you have this ongoing joy of knowing that God is with you and that he will strengthen you for whatever comes your way? Because when I think of this this idea of welcoming the gospel, I think of it in two parts. And I I talk about this often, and maybe I don't always explain it, so I want to explain it now. When, When I talk about receiving and living out the gospel, here's what I mean. Initially, we receive the gospel. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. We turn from our sinful ways. We, we receive Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. We go on the path that God has for us. That's the commitment that we made, or at least we were supposed to make initially, as we received Jesus as our Savior and Lord. But from there, for the rest of our lives, we are supposed to live out the gospel. And when I say live out the gospel, I mean that that, that message that we received at that one point in time has ongoing effects for the rest of our lives and every moment of the rest of our lives should show the fact that Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord. So we are to continue to seek his ways, to get to know his truth and to submit to him to live according to his ways. And as we do that, God will give us that joy of the Holy Spirit as, as we continue to welcome the gospel in our lives. So, have you received the gospel Did it change you? Was it difficult for you to receive the gospel? I remember some difficulty in my heart. I've shared this many times, but when I first received the gospel, there was a part of me that was scared about what God was going to do in me. But that thought paled in comparison to the idea of rejecting Jesus and and doing the rest of my life without God. So I, I gave my life to Jesus. So what about you? Are you fully on board with the gospel? Have you received the gospel? Are you living every moment of every day in light of this gospel message? And do you have that joy that comes from it? 
So the picture of the gospel is that we turn everything over to God and he gives us joy. Now, for the Thessalonians, uh, there's more to this story. In verse 9, it tells how they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now, in Thessalonica, idolatry was a really big deal. I I read this week that their city was only about 50 miles from Mount Olympus. Do any of you know what Mount Olympus was famous for in that day? The gods, the home of the Greek gods. You know, I mean, you've probably, many of you have probably studied Greek mythology. Well, for them, it was a, a very real form of idolatry that was just 50 miles from their city. So you can imagine that that way of thinking had a huge impact on, on the people of their city and on the, on the way that they lived. But it's just a myth. We know that. We know that our God is the living and true God, and I love that. I mean, when, when people hear in, in Thessalonica when they hear that God is living and true, that must have resonated in some way with them as, as being in contrast with those idols, with those false gods that were neither living nor true. Now, idols are things that we would set up in our lives to worship. In ancient times, we might think of that again as a statue that people would set up. But why would they do that? Let's, let's try to put ourselves in their shoes for just a moment uh, or to try to help, help us understand why they would do it. Why would they worship an idol? Well, the reason that they might do it is because they thought that idol might bring them something that they wanted. Maybe it was good weather, or good crops, or good luck, or even the ability to have children. All all of those things could be tied into the idols that they worshipped. So do you see what they were trying to do? In some ways, they were trying to manipulate these idols to gain a better life for themselves. Now, fast forward 2,000 years. Do we ever do that? Do we ever try to manipulate the things of life to try to get a better life for ourselves? Very few people that I know of in America worship a statue, but what about money or pleasure? Do we know anybody who worships money or pleasure? Do you, are you ever tempted to live your life for money or for pleasure? Those things are idolatry as well. You see what we're doing? The same thing they were doing 2,000 years ago with their statues, we might try to get a better life for ourselves through those things. And it's idolatry. So, in Thessalonica, they turned from idolatry. Uh, The theologian and pastor Tim Keller says, sin is primarily idolatry. I I thought that was interesting, that this idea of any sin that we commit is in some way a chasing after a false god. God has a path for us to follow and we should be committed to that path. If we turn from that path and go any other way, it's a form of idolatry. So if we're committed to the gospel of God, we are to flee from our own desires, from our sinful desires, and we are to follow God. And in Thessalonica, it became obvious to the people around them that that's what they did. That's why it says in verse 7 that they became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Although it's interesting as well that it wasn't just there. Macedonia and Achaia were kind of the two regions, or you could think of it like the two states around them. But it also says in this passage that their faith became known everywhere. They were such a great model of what happens when the gospel takes root in a person that their faith became known everywhere. And boy, I'd I'd love it if that were true of us as well, that, that we would be model believers. That when people would look at us, they would see there is a person who has turned from sin and is following the path of God. May it be true of us. 
Um, let me back up and show you one more phrase. In verse 5, it talks about how the gospel came with deep conviction. Now, that, that could obviously be a description of how Paul, Silas, and Timothy brought the gospel to them, but I think it could also be a description of how the people in Thessalonica received the gospel with deep conviction. The, the phrase literally means much full wisdom, or you could perhaps translate it as complete certainty. That when the gospel came with power and with the Holy Spirit, that the, the people recognized it as the word of God and they became assured, a certain, that, that that was the word of God for them, that that was how they should live their lives. And for us, it means that we should be fully on board with the gospel. We are not meant half-heartedly to embrace the gospel or to add some of God's plans into the life that we've already picked out for ourselves. That's a form of idolatry. The, the, some of the people who lived in Samaria, if you, if you know some of your history, you know that they, they took some of God's truth and combined it with other religions. And was it pleasing to God? No. We need to be fully on board with the gospel message. But then let me back up one more verse and just show you something else about how the people of Thessalonica received the gospel. It says in verse 4, so Paul is speaking to them, it says, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Now let me ask the question, how did he know that? How did Paul know that the Thessalonians were chosen? Isn't that something that only God knows? In our house we say, you never know, but sometimes you know. <laughs> And I think that's the case here in Thessalonica. Yes, it is something that only God knows, that he is the judge. We are not the judge, of course. But something happened in the lives of the people of Thessalonica such that Paul could say, we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. What was it about them? I think it's the things that we see described of them in this passage. Or the things that we saw last week in verse 3, their faith, hope, and their love, which showed itself in their work, in their labor, in their endurance. They really turned from sin and followed God. They truly believed. Now, <clears throat> let me take what might be a strange turn in my sermon right now, even a morbid one, and um, let me ask you a question. Well, let me say a comment first. Here, Paul is bragging on the Thessalonians. He's, he's talking about their faith in such a way as to say, good job, you guys. You're a model. When do... When is it for us that people might brag about our faith? Funeral, right? Okay, so let, let's, let's go here. And again, I know this is a little bit morbid, but let's go there. Not, let's not go to your funeral. Let's think about your funeral. Um, although, I like to say, if you don't go to my funeral, I'm not going to go to yours. Okay, so... Um, at your funeral, what will be said about your faith? Now, in my opinion, as a pastor who does funerals, there are two very, very different kinds of funerals. One is the kind where you know for sure the faith of the person who died. The other kind of funeral is where you don't know. Now, let me give a couple examples there. Uh, I'll speak about my sister-in-law's funeral a couple months ago. I didn't have to make up anything about her faith. Everybody who knew her knew that she was clinging to the hope of the gospel. So I, I had the privilege of speaking at her funeral. I just had to use her words. I just had to use her favorite verses to say this is what she believed and was clinging to. And somebody came up to me afterwards and said, I didn't know that the funeral of... <laughs> excuse me here. didn't know the funeral of a 36-year-old mother of four could be inspiring. But 
Not because of what I said. Because of her faith, which was evident. Now, um, changing gears here, I'll wipe the tear out of my eye, get my breath for a moment. I want you to picture a situation, and please, I'm not thinking it specifically of just one funeral that I've done, so I don't want any of you to think of whose funeral is he talking about. I just want you to think in general. Somebody dies. Oftentimes the pastor will go and talk with the family, and maybe they want to learn some things about the person who died, tell us some funny stories, tell us what they were like, and the family shares these stories, and we share some laughs. And then the, the pastor asks the question, tell us about his or her faith. And imagine the room goes silent, and everybody's kind of shifting awkwardly in their seat, and nobody can say anything about their faith. I don't want that to be you. I want, when it comes to that point in your life, I want all the people around you to know your faith. How are they going to know it? They're going to know it by the way that you lived it out. By the way that you talked preciously about your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I want us to be that kind of people that we can say of you, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you and that it's seen evidently in the life that you lived. Okay, let's move on now to the third point of my sermon. The gospel is to ring out everywhere. Ring out. Uh, some of your translations say sounded forth. Um, again, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they brought the gospel to Thessalonica. Some people there welcomed it with joy, but something else happened. After they received the gospel message, the gospel message rang out or sounded forth from them. Like it says in verse 8, the Lord's message rang out from you. It rang out, like I said, not just in the neighboring regions, but your, their faith had become known everywhere. So again, these believers stand as a great model or example or a pattern for us. The gospel came to them, they embraced it, they joined in by proclaiming the gospel to others. An illustration with this, of this would be, imagine a, a really good restaurant coming to town. Um, one of Pastor Josh's favorite came to town recently, Taco Bell. Um, so, <laughs> I know some other people who like it too. But, um, so this new restaurant comes to town, and imagine if you really like it, you, you tell your friends about it, you maybe even take them there with you, and, and you see how the, the message of this new restaurant kind of rings out like a bell. Um, so, in fact, that's the word, I, I kind of used that on purpose. The, the word rang out is the word that can be used of a musical instrument and a loud one at that. It can also be used of a, a thunderclap. So we're, we're talking about a, a loud ringing out. And so think about that, a thunderclap. You, you can hear it for miles and miles. Uh, and I wonder, how, how far can your voice carry if you just spoke it. But then you think about a thunderclap and how, how much further that can go out. Or uh, this word could also be used of a trumpet. Now you'll notice on our worship team, most of all of our instruments are mic'd. But when we, every once in a while, have a trumpet on our stage, I, I think we don't use the microphone. Am I right on that, Dan? When we have a trumpet here, you just, just let it blare because the, the, the sound just rings out. So that's the word that was happening here from Thessalonica. These, these people embraced the message so strongly that it rang out from them and literally was known everywhere. I want that to be true of us. I want the, the sound of the gospel to go forth from us. 
And again, like it says in verse 7, they became a model. So this is a model for us of how the gospel is to go forth from us. As we embrace the gospel, we are to encourage others to live according to the gospel. Now we might call that making disciples. So the gospel can ring forth in us as we interact with other believers and we help them grow in their faith. That's a way that the gospel can ring out. But then obviously as well, the gospel is to ring out to non-believers, that as we interact with them, we are to share with them the hope that we have of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So what are you doing to help others grow in their faith, to help others come to know Jesus? Are you putting yourself around other believers in such a way that you will look into God's word, that you will pray, that you will share your life with them, that you can make disciples, that we can do that together as a body of believers? And then also, as you think about non-believers, how is the gospel ringing out from you to them? I was thinking again about that, that phrase, ring out, and I was thinking about thunder. In a thunderstorm, there are often multiple thunderclaps. Or as you think about a, a trumpet playing in a song, a trumpet doesn't usually just play one note, it plays many notes. And I was thinking maybe one of the ways that the gospel can ring out from us is maybe we think about those people that we've already shared the gospel with. And, and maybe we go back to them. And maybe we just say, hey, I know we had some conversations before about God, and I was just curious where you're at with that now. So maybe that's an application for some of you. Think about somebody from your past. Maybe it's the recent past, or, or maybe it's a long time ago. And go back to them and ask them where they're at with God now. Continue that conversation. Or maybe it's a completely new opportunity. Maybe God will open your eyes to a something that's, that's totally new. Maybe it's somebody you've never even met or maybe it's somebody that you've met and God puts a burden on your heart for them. I want us to be open to those kinds of opportunities as well. In Thessalonica, it was quite a turnaround. These former idol worshippers turned from sin and followed the living and the true God. People took notice and the gospel went forth. And it's interesting, like I've said before, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were only there for a short time, maybe even only three weeks, but the gospel took root there because the Holy Spirit was at work bringing the gospel to them and causing the gospel to ring out from them. So how are you doing at this? And again, I know there's guilt that comes with that question, and believe me, I feel it too. Okay? So I'm, I'm not just speaking at you, I'm speaking to myself as well. How are you doing at bringing the gospel message to others? What are the opportunities that God might be giving you even this week to share the gospel? And it's interesting too, um, as we think about the gospel ringing out, I just want to point this out here in verse 10. It talks about how the Thessalonians waited for God's Son from heaven. Uh, talks about how Jesus was raised from the dead and how he's the one who rescues us from the coming wrath. So they had embraced the gospel message. They believed in the resurrection. They believed in the wrath of God, but also that Jesus would save them from that wrath. And the response from the Thessalonians was that they were waiting for him. Now that word wait is the important, it, it, I think it's an important word in that verse. It comes from the word which means remain. Um, if I were to translate that word, I, I might use the phrase hold fast. And, and the idea is when you have to endure or remain, usually you're talking about something that comes with difficulty. And for the Thessalonians, there was difficulty there. There were lots of people in their city that didn't like the gospel message, yet they waited. They held fast to Jesus as they waited for him to come again. And be encouraged, Jesus will come again. 
as we wait for him, what kind of faith are we going to have? And are we going to let the gospel ring out from us? So one of the reasons that I chose this First Thessalonians series at this time in the life of our congregation is because I think that, that we need a reminder to live on mission. Um, I think that our church is, is really good at lots of things, and I know there are lots and lots of people here who love the gospel and love the idea of the gospel ringing out from us. I also just feel like we, myself included, I'll point one at you, one finger and four at me, and I'll say that we all could perhaps do a better job of living on mission and seeing those opportunities around us. Let's be people who are continually convinced of the gospel and let's let it show in the way that we proclaim it to others. And here's my conclusion for today. The gospel message is more than just an idea to us. It is to be embraced, lived out, and proclaimed. So the idea there is that we initially are to receive this gospel message. And if there are any of you who haven't received it yet, let today be the day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. I urge you to be right with God today. But we know that the gospel message doesn't end there. We are to embrace it and live it out for the rest of our lives. We are to live according to the ways of God. And as we live according to the gospel, we are to proclaim it to others. It is to ring out from us. It is to be sounded forth from us. In Thessalonica, this happened powerfully. And again, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were only there for a short time, but God was with them powerfully as they continued in the gospel. And I want us to have that same experience with the gospel. So have you received it? Are you living it out? Are you proclaiming it to others? I pray that we, too, will be a model of the gospel's pattern to those around us. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you brought the gospel message to us. We are so grateful that you told us how we could be forgiven of our sins, how we could turn away from it and walk with you and know you. We praise you, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. God, we pray that you would strengthen us to live according to that gospel message, that for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus as Lord, that we would continue to walk with him as our Lord that we would honor you with everything that we do. And as part of that, God, part of our walking with you, we want the gospel to sound forth from us, to ring out from us. Would you help us to see those opportunities that you give us? We pray that you would open doors for the gospel, that you would give us those opportunities, and that we would make the most of every one. Would you give us the words to say, the faith and the boldness to say it? Lord, we pray for the lost around us, that you would draw them to Jesus, that they would put their faith in Jesus, for salvation. So again, God, we thank you for this gospel, for its powerful impact in our lives. Would you please do your powerful work in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.